It's the Pikey and Lout Show, Talking Taipans. Chris Pike and Alex Loughton come to you with everything that is 100% Taipans. Let's go. It's Talking Taipans. Hello and welcome to the Pikey and Lout Show. We're Talking Taipans and the seemingly never-ending NBL season, at least the regular season, has come to an end. Maybe, maybe it's a good thing for the Cairns Taipans. Things didn't quite go to plan, but we're here to dissect all of that, including the finish to the season, which was a little bit dramatic over the last few games, and certainly with some of the news that's come out since. So plenty for us to get through. The NBA Finals are underway as well. We'll announce our MVP, thanks to Cairns Total Physio. So let's not waste any time. We've got a very special guest that my co-host has caught up with as well. I'm Chris Pike, but Alex Loudon? How do we find you with this NBL season finally now over, at least for the Cairns Taipans? Well, yeah, you're right. It's obviously over for the Taipans, but I tell you what, it's heating up in in all other areas mm-hmm. uh, with the the musical chairs of the coaching situation. Um, you know, it, coming out coming at us in real time. Uh, in between the interview with our special guest, um, you know, we've seen the announcement of the Bullets head coach. Uh, but I'm also ex- excited about how the pace of the finals has uh, has been huge. So um, you know, we'll, we'll get into all of that and more. This episode of the Pikey and Lowes Show is proudly brought to you by Cairns Total Physio. Less pain, more life. And Staten's Plumbing Company. Plumbers who care. We absolutely will. And the coaching news does involve the Taipans, so we'll get to we'll get to that shortly. But let's have a look at the end of the season. So we we were looking forward to pumping up the last what we thought was going to be the last home game of the season back a couple of weeks against the the Brisbane Bullets, it ended up being the second last home game. So that fir- that first home game we were talking about against the Bullets didn't quite go to plan. But two days later against the South East Melbourne Phoenix, it, it did go to plan. So it was an interesting way to finish the season for the Taipans. Why don't we go back to that game against the Bullets? The Bullets probably in the end had too much to play for, didn't they? Um, they, they were playing to keep their season alive and they were able to just do that. But it was a, a pretty entertaining game. Oh, absolutely! Uh, yeah, I was I was there watching, and um, they they certainly were the the bullets were were pumped to you know keep themselves in contention. Um, they certainly uh, put their best foot forward, but I thought that thought the Taipans didn't play uh, too bad. I, I thought they were uh, in the contest, um, but obviously with a little bit too little too late at the end. Um, but but yeah, I thought. You know, there wasn't the way they wanted to to finish the the season out. And like you said, with that extra chance to play uh, another game, I think they were able to atone that uh, that last game loss mm. against against the, against the Bullets. The the highlight of the Bullets game was Mojave King's performance. His best game of the season, twenty five points. Um, he just looked more aggressive. He, he, I'm sure, he enjoyed the fact that he got to play almost thirty minutes. Um, Ended up being his last game of the season too. But what did you make of his performance? Oh, it was it was unbelievable. It was uh, everything that we were expecting of him early on in the season. Um, but he certainly delivered. He ran the lanes. He was aggressive. He got on the he got on the rim. Uh, players found him. Uh, but he was there in transition on the receiving end. Like so, so him running the lanes. He didn't have to create, but he he put himself in the right position ahead of the pack. Uh, and guys like Machado, uh, you know, twelve assists that came to Machado. Uh, he found he found King, uh, and those were the connections that we were just craving early on in the season. Um, Harvey King finding his feet 
is is what we all wanted. Um, can he then now carry that momentum into the next season? I think he I think he will. Um, but you know, it just took time to to really find himself and. He didn't take those opportunities early, like we've seen late in the season. Um, he was a bit hesitant, and you know, with the scramble of trying to find some identity and find wins early, you know, Coach Kelly was, you know, in my opinion, he was forced to to bench him and go with whoever was being aggressive. Like he, Coach Kelly, had no luxury of saying, "Oh, look." We're going to get through this, you know, get through this season and and get you accustomed to the level of this play uh, and the physicality. You know, you stay out there and keep going, like the like the league has been promoting and the league has been, um, you know, championing championing those next stars to get big minutes. I I, I just didn't think like King was ready to mm. to demand and and control his his destiny in that in that moment. He was, um, like I said, just that hesitancy. Um, you know, he'd he'd take he wouldn't take the opportunity. He'd back it out, and then he'd pass it to the guard to then run a half court set. Well, that didn't you know that wasn't winning uh, basketball for the Taipans. So um, look, late in the season the though, responsibility isn't it? That's all that. Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. And if you're a young player, it's hard to to learn to be aggressive when you've got so many veterans around you or, sure. or big names yeah. up and coming around you. But um, you know, it, what was needed to happen but that that required i guess a a different approach from from coach kelly as well and i think that's one of the sticking points for the club is that you know the the um the development of an 18 year old next star wasn't up to what they needed or you know i don't know if that was you know really laid out in a detailed plan at the start of the season i think it was hey here's a great player make it happen i don't think there was a detailed plan about okay here's a great player um you're going to need to play you're going to need to play him and get through those growing pains and we're right behind you uh in perhaps conceding some games early but you're gonna you know i don't know if there was a big detailed plan about that coming into the season um you know, nor was there a manual to you know for any next star because like sometimes they don't they don't seem to need um, you know much coaching. They'll just go out there and and make it happen like Lamelo Ball, like yeah. Josh Giddy. They just seem to fall into the right sort of um, uh, mojo, I guess. They they were able to deliver, but I mean Mojave Kings perhaps there's that different cat. So uh, look. Mojave King on the whole season, six point two three points per game is the average. That's that's the performance and that's yeah. the contribution that that experiment has delivered on this season. Um, he's finished with this game with twenty five points and a huge lot of potential that you know keeps the the basketball enthusiasts just frothing at the mouth about what what could be uh, for next season um, if you know if King is now um, feeling comfortable. So. Where does it all where does it all balance out? Unfortunately, it means you know a little too little too late in terms of the the club's performance for this year, mm. uh, which has resulted in the firing of Coach Kelly. Uh, but I guess for Mojave King, you know, a positive outlook in terms of his progression. He turns nineteen next year yeah. to then, you know, deliver um, multiple you know multiple points in in a single game. Uh, you like to think he's on the upward tra- trajectory. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'll I'll talk a little bit more when we talk about Mike a little bit later about the impact sure. I think that, that that has had on that ultimate decision. But our votes in our Cairns Total Physio MVP tracker for that game, Lowes, um, no surprise, Mojave King the three votes, Scott Machado the two, and Nate Jawai with, with the one vote. 
Yep, yep. No, uh, some some good contributions across the board there. But yeah, Machado with those twelve assists. Mm. Uh, he's he's been a bit quiet, you know, in the the, the last sort of third. Of, quarter of this season um, I really thought this game he's kind of really locked back into um, you know what he can do and um, you know finding those finding those players like King uh, running the lanes is just beautiful to watch yeah his last last probably two or three weeks we're right back to his he, his best form which was, which was great to see um, then it was the unexpected game back at the at the pop-up arena on Friday this was a this was a treat for the Taipans fans that did get to go go along. I know technically on the on the marquee it was labelled a Phoenix home game, but it was in Cairns and it was at the pop up arena, so I don't think you need to be fooled by that. Um, and the Phoenix had a lot to play for. They had a double figure lead um, late in the game, but the Taipans stuck around. Mirko Jarek caught fire down the finish and. That was a fantastic way to farewell the the Orange Army for the Taipans to get that win against a team that has ultimately ultimately made the finals and is probably still a, a championship threat. Well, you know, the, in terms of playing spoiler, it was just in, you know making sure that they would spoil their effort by putting them in fourth, maybe not mm, have a better yeah, chance at being in sure. third for the better crossover with a, a Bryceless um, Wildcat. Yep, so yep. it it has you know it has impacted them greatly and. Um, Obviously, the games that followed certainly did as well. But um, look, that that game for 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 Jerick, see that the Brisbane Bullets game, he was turning down threes and not mm. shooting them. And I was like, oh no, what's going on? Like, you know, this is a shooter that's not shooting. Like, that's that's his job, that's his responsibility. Mm-hmm. Maybe the uh, you know the players and coaches would have got in his ear after that game. It's like if you get the ball and you've got space, it's your job to launch uh, and uh, you know get that ratchet. A shot um, and get a goal, and so he certainly did for this game and turned it on in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, hitting some big buckets and just you know ca- capping off a season uh, to forget with a game to remember, uh, and certainly finishing uh, with uh, you know that tribute to to Ross Moller for every home win, yeah. getting that win yeah, for the win. late Ross Moller, uh, and and uh, probably a good way to bookend the season in terms of in terms of that and, and honoring a great guy for the club uh, but you know good good for the boys good for the lads to get a, a win at home and, and just reward the faithful the orange army faithful um, that turned out obviously numbers a bit down with such a short turnaround and mm. perhaps the you know the the exhaustion of the the fans from a, a season of heartache but um, look uh, just a great way to finish at home our relieving would have been for everybody involved to get this one win, one last win. You would have hated to finish the season on a, what would have been about a, I guess a ten or eleven game losing streak. But to get this, get this little bit of a boost. I know they ended up losing the last two games, but it must have been a great feeling for everybody involved. Well, it just shows they didn't throw in the towel. They didn't, you yep. know, check out. They they stuck to a plan. Um, and executed at a plan and got a, got a bit uh, lucky with the, well not lucky but they got they caught some team fire at the end there uh, and all that sort of really fueled uh, you know just just a joyous sort of finish to the the season. And the votes for this game in the Cairns Total Physio MVP tracker, Moko, no surprise, the three votes for his match winning last quarter. Majuk Deng, a big game, twenty two points, he gets the two, and Jordan Artai, he had a especially big first half to keep the Taipans in touch, he gets the one vote. Yep. Yeah. No. Great contributions from uh, some of those guys that don't often, uh, you know, pour in the big the big numbers at the end of a game. Uh, it was guys that they were able to get it done uh, across the board. Now the next game was in Sydney against Melbourne United on the 
on I think it was the Monday night from from memory, and it was a, an, an interesting experience. Now, the Taipans went into this game without a pretty handy starting five, so there was obviously still no Cam Oliver. Venky Joyce was going to miss the last two games for personal reasons. Fab Krislovich missing with his knee injury. Mojave King out injured as well. And Kuat Noy still out injured. So going in without a pretty handy starting five. If you put those as a starting five, it's not a, a bad-looking team. Also, no fans in for the game in Sydney. And probably a predictable result in the end with a, a decent-sized win for Melbourne United. Yeah, look, I mean, oh, there's, there's not much to... to you know, play for in this, in terms of this game. You couldn't play spoiler. You couldn't, you know, didn't have your, at least a, a, a arrangement of players that mm. have, uh, you know, seen some big minutes and big production of late. So your whole chemistry is all out of whack. Um, you know, this is a game where you certainly don't want anyone to get injured or anything more than, than yeah. um, you know, <laughs> just, just, just get it done and get out the way. Um, but certainly, you know, it was a chance for some other players to come in. They hadn't seen much time. I mean, even Jordan Hunt with yep. uh, 11 minutes or 12 minutes, I should say, seeing some, you know, precious time and able to, you know, produce for the, the club. Those are the kind of the games that we can get something positive out of this. Uh, Blagojevic able to contribute six points there. Um, so, you know, and leading up to the last game, Jordan Hunt um, had a great game to mm. finish the, the season as well. So, Guys like that, seeing limited time, limited action, able to step onto the floor, um, still have, still gives them something to play for, uh, for that sort of thing. So, look, I think um, you know the the wind out of the sail, well and truly out of the sails um, on that trip um, to to go down by you know in my my personal um, championship favourites for the for the league, but we'll get into that later in Melbourne United. Uh, they certainly put the type ends to the sword. It became a more dramatic game as well when straight afterwards the club announced that they were parting ways with Mike Kelly at the end of the season. I, my understanding is what is that he he had known going into that game that that news was was coming. I'm not sure about if the players knew or not, but how tough would it be coaching a game knowing that you've just been been giving your given your marching orders? Oh, I mean, it'd be an exhausting year um, of you know ups and downs injuries and then the added pressure um, that we'll uh, speak about a bit later about you know the external pressures of um, you know that the next stars program the league and you know ultimately then the club will, will put on you know the coach to make sure things kind of move in, in a direction that um, you know you might not have been it might not have been what he signed up for a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of outside influences, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're all judged on, on the performance. But just uh, I'm sure it would have been an exhausting finish uh, just to the year. And maybe maybe a relief by the end of the, uh, you know, one game out before the end of the season, knowing that, um, you know, things were kind of coming to a, coming to an end. Like there's sometimes not knowing is, is the worst part. Yeah, uh, sure. And then... Sort of having, I guess, maybe um, you know the, the the map laid out that things are coming to a close. Then you know, then you can get your head around it. Um, but certainly, a really tough time for for Coach Kelly in those final two games. And just quickly, the voting in the MVP tracker for that game: Tad Dilfermeyer, mm. the three votes; Mirko Jerick, um, two more for, for him, and the one vote for Scott Machado. And then. If that's not tough enough, you have to make a trip over, over to New Zealand to, to, to close out the season, playing against the Breakers team. Pretty keen to play well in front of their their home fans. 
The only positive I see from this was that for Jordan Hunt, Jared Kenny, and Jordan Artai, it was a homecoming, but didn't end up being a victory, and it was a, a big ask to go over there to get the win without those five players, and and with the news about about Mike thrown thrown on top of it. Look, I, th- I still think it was a good game. Uh, they yeah. took it, you know, only a six-point loss. Uh, I still thought the, the Taipans fought, and I thought they battled. Um, I think uh, you're right that for those those Kiwi contingent, they're able to, um, you know, get a bit of taste of home. And I thought Jordan Hunt did, did a great job in his minutes as well. Mm-hmm. So, so two games back-to-back, he's able to prove, you know, his, his worth in this league as a um, capable sort of a backup. Um, which is great. Kenny seeing limited time in previous, you know, the, the last quarter of the, the season or last half of the season, I should say, and, um, you know, able to, to, to get a, a healthy dose of 20 minutes and yeah. six points. So, um, you look, I think there's some individual positives. I think players are happy to come out of there unscathed um, and those other guys that weren't sort of playing, obviously they're, they're resting up for, you know, off season and, and next season, which is, Right around the corner, actually. Mm. <laughs> to be honest, uh, the the league starting at normal time next year, so next season, so preseason not too far away. But um, look, Duffelmeyer, uh, those the for this season, especially the last half of the season, he's really played himself into um, uh, a great you know contract sort of role. Yep. Uh, now that there's a team coming into the league, so he's really sort of proven himself. Not not a big performance, obviously, against New Zealand, but um, you know I just like the way he's gone about his business late. Uh, in the season, um, Jawai continues to you know wind back the clock and and provide some really serviceable minutes. Mm. Um, you know, twenty five minutes in that game, but you know his his uh, ability, I guess, around the fifteen to twenty minute mark, able to change a game uh, and still be serviceable. I think it, the way the speed of the game's picked up and their athleticism, uh, he's still proven to be a handful um, for for teams. So, um, and he, he's mentally, I think he's. As disappointed as he is this year, I think he's been able to lock into what he can do well uh, yeah, and I stuff agree. within his control. So I, I think he's been very professional about his performance this year and how he's gone about uh, his, his business. So um, look, it's a tough one. I think I think the six point loss was still a good effort. I think it was they were still you know within the ballpark, um, but just uh, you know to finish out the season, they're probably happy to see the tail end of it. Yeah, I think so. Okay, the votes for the last game in the MVP tracker, Scott Machado, the three, Nate Jawai, the two, and for the first time this season, Jordan Hunt with the, yeah. one, with the one vote. We'll announce our winner shortly, but just one interesting point. We talked about it on our last show. From the point Cam Oliver left the team, it's very interesting to note that Nate Jawai has got more votes than anybody in that time since. So that just goes to highlight how good he's been and how he's stepped up especially since Cam left the team. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not a it's not just a question of him coming in and and filling those minutes. It it means he would have had to be prepared, you know, mentally and physically put himself in a position to be successful. Mm. So, he's he's done that not knowing if Cam's coming or going. Obviously, you'd assume he's going to be staying, but he's 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 done the work, and now the opportunity comes in, comes knocking. Uh, he he grabs it with both hands, and he's able to perform uh, really well. And he's and he's looking really good. So um, I thought he just made the most of uh, that situation. And like I said, even keel mentally, I thought he was probably one of the more mentally tough players on the team. I, I you know speak with our uh, interviewee, our guest on the the show, which we'll <laughs> mention soon, but. Um, 
we spoke about the mental toughness and the body language wasn't great throughout the season, but I, I thought you know, the way Nate sort of mentally kind of handled a lot of the uh, the this year's pressures, especially late with Ken gone, uh, I thought he was uh, was pretty solid. Yeah, completely agree. Okay, so let's take a look at the season in reflection. An eight and twenty-eight record. I mean, it doesn't look good on on paper. Finishing in last place isn't ideal, but gee, I. I'm I'm very hesitant to put the blame on on Mike Kelly. We're coming off the the season before one game out from reaching the grand final. You lose DJ Newell, and I think the the three imports down to two hurt the Taipans more than anybody. You end up playing a lot of the season without Majuk Deng and Koat Noi. You then lose Cam Oliver as well, so you're down to one import for the rest of the season. I think there was a lot of extenuating circumstances for for what happened this season. I think it's a perfect storm. I think it, I think it's uh, you know that that hasn't gone on the way of uh, of Coach Kelly. I, I think there's there's obviously some things in there that he'll know he can he can do better, and and there's you know um, you know lots of things in terms of an evolution of a coach. You know, he's a young coach. The you're going to have to go through these ups and downs, but as long as you're tracking in the right direction, I think um, you can say that you know there's there's progress sort of in the in the future of his coaching career for sure. Um, you know, the the losing that second playmaker, I think, was completely underestimated um, leading into this season. We, we obviously we signed Machado, we signed Oliver, and we thought everything was going to be smooth sailing. But what what was underestimated the most, I think, is that the ability of that second playmaker to take the pressure off Machado and give him a break at both ends yeah. of the floor, yeah. defensively and offensively, and until Duffelmeyer was brought into the mix as a development player and got some things done. Mm. You start to you started to realize just how big an impact it was it would have been to have um, someone that could handle the ball. So those those duties of handling the rock on paper on the way this team was put together, it was supposed to be Quatnoy and Mojave King being that playmaker, being that being that uh, energy um, guy that could. Um, actually put the ball in the hole and get to the free throw and all that kind of stuff. Well, it turns out they're not those guys. They're, they're not the playmaker kind of player. Um, and anytime you put a team together, it's the club and the coach. So it's not all on Mike for saying, hey, this is, this is, this is the plan. These are the guys they want. Um, you know, if, if you think that, that Mike being fired is, is pointing the, the finger in the direction and Taking the you know, making sure the focus is on the coach as the coach's sort of um, fault for the season, then that would be a huge mistake. That would be a big mistake because that's it's never, it's never in that regard the the coach's full responsibility to to put the team together. The the board and and the coach have that joint responsibility and they've got to be on the same page. So I I, I dare say there's some you know there's some new outside influences that have come into come into play. From a league standpoint, um, the next stars standpoint, which we haven't had in the Taipans before, um, uh, you know, next stars agent standpoint comes into play as well. Uh, you don't really see it, but you can, you know, you can you can feel that pressure a bit. And you know, if if the Taipans are thinking of going in a different direction, um, but then they sign a new fresh coach again, like a rookie kind of coach or someone with three years or less experience, then I don't think. They've maybe learnt from that, or or they're just making a lateral move or a negative move. 
So you, you either stick with the coach and go through the growing pains of the ups and downs, but knowing that it's in a positive trajectory, which I think Mike Kelly's certainly on that, that path. Um, but my, my gut feeling is that if they're going in a different direction, then they'll have to um, spend a bit more money and get an experienced coach that can do whatever it is that they, that they assume should be done, like the, the development plan of your next star, the, 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 all the little ins and outs of, of steering a team in the right direction. So it'd be interesting, interesting to see if whoever they sign is now the new um, uh, plan, I guess, for, for what, they were, what they foresee the club to be. Are we a development club or are we trying to get a seasoned veteran coach that can, like a Gorgian, that can bring in talent and work them over and get the most out of the team that way like which which way do you go which way do you spend the money which way um which way is the the path for success if it's a young if it's a young coach then uh, then i don't know what's going on because Mm. mike kelly is is a is the guy for sticking with and going through the growing pains of that what's what's your take on the direction i guess or or the, the fallout from all this well, I, I I totally agree. If you're looking for somebody to build from the ground up, then I can't imagine anyone doing a better job than than Mike Mike Kelly. And yeah, it, it's tough. I, I think it's tough because we all we all like and respect Mike so much, and he's been so good to all of us for my, the last three years that I've been working with the club with him. He's been nothing but outstanding to me, and I'm sure for you in your last season playing, he. I'm sure, even though you didn't get a lot of wins, I'm sure you enjoyed the fact that he was your, he was your coach. So I think that ma- makes it tough. But I just can't get past the fact that I think a lot of this decision has become because Mojave King was unhappy the way he was used and treated and his agent has made it very clear that they were unhappy with the way he was coached this season. And I can't help but think that ultimately that is the be- that has been the biggest factor in Mike losing his job. So, so you're saying that those outside influences are starting to become really prevalent I think from so. your side. I, I, I think so. so. Yeah. So, so where do you go? Where do you go now with the same budget? Where do you go now, and not get a similar result of frustration mm. at, at the lack of experience of a of a young coach? It, it's tough, isn't you know, it? I mean, I mean, what what the agents of these next stars have to understand is that this is the professional basketball league. A lot of people think it's now one of the top three leagues in the world, as much as we want to be a place where players can come and get ready for the NBA, this is a business that's all about winning. It's not... You, it, you can't put developing a player ahead of trying to win games of basketball. It just can't happen. But I think that is what is beginning to happen. And and that I think similar things happened in Adelaide with Josh Giddy and Isaac Humphreys. The same agent got both of those guys to play over in Adelaide to develop them individually as players... And it didn't necessarily help the team win too many games, but I think the the stock of both Josh Giddy and Isaac Humphreys went up, but the 36ers didn't win a lot of games either. Well, I'm a big fan of Humphreys uh, yeah. and and Giddy's. Um, you know, their team wise, they no, they couldn't string wins together. Um, you know, and you can see the way they play at the moment. Oh, you know, to finish out the mm. season, this just DJ wasn't too interested in in any of it either. So. You know, clearly some fractures there. Um, you know, I, I just think unless unless you're prepared to spend two to three hundred thousand on a coach, then you're not you're not making any sense in firing a coach on on you know a lot lesser wage than 
than that. The, the two to three hundred is for an experienced coach. Well, let's be honest. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're, I think we're both on the same page. We're thinking it's going to be very tough to find a better coach than Mike Kelly on the same sort of money. For the same money and, and the same level of experience, yeah. um, because you know you you've. If you're right, he's a consummate professional in terms of how he handles, you know, everything off the court. Um, you know, it's a pleasure to be around. That that's all the superficial kind of stuff. The bigger picture is, it's hard to get away from the performance of eight and twenty-eight. Like I I get that, and you know, the club often has to see be seeing like they're doing something. So we better, you know, we better make a decision here. But they haven't they haven't traditionally spent the money that. Um, that would get you a, an experienced coach that's been through all the rigors of that and been successful and is ready to, you know, start start something up here. So, mm. I I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what the what the future sort of position is going to look like. And they're going to have to move pretty quick. Well, they do. Huh? And I've the heard that. And I've heard that they've good. already. And I've heard that they're pretty close to signing someone pretty quick. Okay, well, but if well, it's someone, yeah. if it's someone with three years or less experience, then 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 it's just a, a finger pointing exercise to to point to find some excuse for the season, and it, then it'll be a blame on Coach Kelly. Okay, we'll get to our special guest shortly, so we can you can talk more about it with him. But I've got a quick list. Why don't I run through the names and you give me a quick response if you would be happy for this for these guys to be appointed the coach, yes or no, or, or whatever comes to mind when you hear their their name, Lowes. The first one, Jamie O'Loughlin. Um, I think less experienced than Mike Kelly, so mm. from that side of things, no. Jamie Perlman. Similar to Jamie O'Loughlin, I think he's uh, on an upwards trajectory, and I do like the way he does does things, uh, but I don't think I, I don't think that's the direction either. Mm. McDowner. Similar to Jamie O, I'll probably put Jamie... Oh, sorry, similar to Jamie Perlman, I'll probably put Jamie Perlman ahead mm-hmm. only because um, he's in the, in the league currently and um, uh, would have that sort of first-hand experience as of, as of now. Mm-hmm. Although McDowner is doing great things in the New Zealand league yeah. uh, and, you know, he can... I've seen him um, handle the culture of a team as well. Uh, I just don't think he would demand the respect of the players... Um, with his voice at this stage. Adam Ford. Adam Ford, young coach. Uh, I don't think he's the right fit. I think he's a lateral or a, a, a backwards move for the club. Mm. Um, I think Mike Kelly, just in terms of experience, um, I don't think that's that's enough reason to fire Coach Kelly and hire Ford. I, haven't, I don't think he's proven himself enough, although I was impressed with some of his Sydney games. Uh, and getting the guys relatively close to contention. CJ Bruton. Uh, I haven't seen him as a head coach before. Great, great player, great leader on the floor as a player. Uh, I'm not haven't. I'm not sure if he's gone through the apprenticeship of a coach at this stage. Um, you know, coaching, doing the hard, doing the hard yards at the lower levels. Um, but I don't really know his resume that well. But I would like to see him. Be that NBL one head coach and win a you know win a championship type of thing, and show you know that 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 due diligence to the apprenticeship of coaching. You know how there's there's always many years mm-hmm. um, to, to get under your belt. You can't you know just join an NBL club and then be elevated straight away. I do think you know more of that 
more of that proving himself kind of thing. Even though I know Cal's a good good champion for yeah. his uh, cause to be a coach, uh, and I and I love the way Cal coached and played. Yeah. Andre certainly you is know. too. I think Andre's disappointed that he hasn't been appointed the Bullets coach in the end. Yeah, Andre's disappointed with that. that I think CJ he was. I think he was appointed. very much grooming CJ to take over from him. I think that's absolutely. And, and I, yeah, and maybe with more more time, there might have been a definite you know kind of plan. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, I, I just don't know. You know, you, I, I'm thinking that it would have to be an experienced coach coming in that will have uh, that will check a lot of boxes and have that battle hardened, um, you know, mind coaching mind about you know that that can sort of handle those ebbs and flows um, and you know really really lead a program. Um, well, the, the, but, this next name might fit those boxes for you. Rob Beveridge. Rob Beveridge, although he's been removed from the league a few few years now, um, he does tick a lot of boxes, and I have been impressed with how his form has been. He's coaching um, in New Zealand right now too. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, he, he's a he's a he's a sensitive uh, character, mm-hmm. and um, you know you do need a, a really high level of thick skin um, in this league to handle the handle the the club's board and administration and and all the things that go with it like a you know a Trevor Gleeson does does check that box yeah, and yeah. uh you know standing the test of time I guess and, and being thick skinned I think Bevo does have a lot of uh tools in it, in his toolbox to be able to to carry a club so uh he would be an option for me last one that springs to my mind Adam Caporn Adam Caporn this it's interesting because the Marty Clark experiment didn't work with Adelaide, yep. and I actually speak about that with 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 Body Knowledge uh, in the interview here. But that that could be it could be risky. I think it'd be too risky for when I don't think the club, the Taipans, is in a position to take another risk on on uh, young and uh, inexperienced in terms of the NBL. The NBL coaches have to handle egos. The junior coaches have to make turn boys into men and inspire them to greatness it's easier to do from a authoritative standpoint at, at the junior level because they're still young kids it's doesn't work in the the men's in the in the seniors in the men's league so you've got to have someone that's confident within themselves that inspires the players you know with with different means not just and I'm not saying Capon just uses brute force and mm. you know gets on, but he he's his niche at the moment is with the juniors. So the Marty Clark experiment failed at, at Adelaide 36ers. Ultimately, I think the realization that you know you've got to coach and handle uh, it's ego management more than coaching X's and O's mm. in a lot of ways because yeah, know, if you if you lose the locker room, and this is what happened to Coach Kelly this season. If you lose the locker room, if you lose the eye contact of the players and the the buy-in of the players, then it's a really upward it's a really upward battle from there. If the eyes are glazed over of the players and they're looking around at timeouts and they're not locked in, it's also on the player. Don't get me wrong; they have to buy in. They have to give you energy. They have to, you know. Give their support. It's their job to support the coach as well and be on the same page. 
but there was a lot of that looking around during those crucial moments where you could see the eye roll of players Mm -hmm. and it just looked like there was disunity and disharmony. Yeah, yeah. So whether it was an ego thing, whether a player wasn't getting the ball, whether a player wasn't getting what they wanted, all that kind of stuff kind of comes into play and it's a super tough job of a coach to coach the way he sees it and the players to also buy in to that vision and understand where they fit in and when they're going to get their when they're going to get their meal when they're going to get the chance to score some buckets and improve their stock for the following year but ultimately the the job of the head coach has to manage those egos has to manage the vision has to manage the plan and has to be you know all those things you know when you look at coach gorgian he he demands that respect because of the tenure and his experience but he's also had to at every step of the way prove himself and be a big voice and repair relationships and build trust and all that kind of stuff it's you you don't see it happening gleason's time outs either do you no, no. Well, they, they they know that they're in a in a good position. You know, winning cures a lot of things. And if you're in first or second place, then you've obviously done some good things during the year where you've galvanised that trust, you've galvanised that that belief, and you know you've got the buy-in because you're right there. You, mm. you, you're in the top seed. You have got the chance. No one's no one's looking off in the distance. There, like they're hungry. They they can see it. But when you're at the bottom of the ladder. And, you know, you're not sure where you're going, then you're going to start thinking about yourself as well. And then you're going to start thinking about your next contract. You're like, where's my next contract coming mm-hmm. from? And that's when fractures uh, are most prevalent. But we, we, we saw that this year. Let's, you know, let's be honest. But, um, yeah, look, I think Bevo's won. Uh, yeah. um, you know, but, the you know, there, there's a lot of coaches playing, you know, coaching in Japan and they've got future contracts, obviously, over there. But, um, have you got any more on your list? No, that was that was my list, and it seems like the guys in Japan are very happy there. Um, Sean Dennis <laughs> has now signed another deal with a new club, so he's locked in for the future. Paul Hanari told Andre Lamanis that if he had the option of an NBL job or a, or staying in Japan, he would absolutely want to stay in Japan. And now that Andre's heading over to Japan, he might never come back either. It seems like it's a tough place to to get guys to come back from. It, look, it looks like it's a, it's got a bit of a, a bit of a honey spot, like yeah. a, a honey pot. You know, they, they probably play well. Um, the the benefits are probably good. There's, um, you know, you can't you can't understand what the board is saying, what the club is saying. <laughs> it's probably quite, probably quite relieving. Um, yeah. You know, you just get to coach and um, assume that they've got your back. <laughs> Absolutely. This episode of the Pikey and Lowes Show is proudly brought to you by Cairns Total Physio. Less pain, more life. And Statton's Plumbing Company. Plumbers who care. Fascinating discussion. Um, And it probably leads nicely into our special guest for this week, Lowes. Absolutely. Look, I I think um, the the article from this this man, uh, Body Nodge, um, as I've mistakenly called him, Body Nagi, Body Nagi, <laughs> Body Naj, uh, all, all of the above, and so is everyone else because we don't know what Hungarian um, <laughs> n- nouns and things sound like. Uh, but I can confirm it's Body Naj, and uh, certainly had the, uh, an article on uh, Mike Kelly's uh, uh, sacking, and you know it seemed to resonate with a lot of Taipans fans 
getting some kind of understanding from from his inside. He doesn't have any, doesn't claim any inside scoop or anything like that, just purely from his observations. But uh, let's have a listen to my interview with Body Nodge. Okay, joining me now on the Pikey and Lau show. Um, pretty excited actually about this because we've always seen each other in passing at all of our uh, away games in Adelaide. But uh, finally, at uh, the end of the career, I'm able to, to talk with the, the one and only Body Nodge. He's 47 years uh, writing the sports journalist, uh, writing the sports column for In South Australia. Uh, so much experience and insights. Uh, but welcome to the show, Body Nodge. <laughs> Thank you very much, Alex Loughton. It's uh, an absolute pleasure to be here. And, and a pleasure to get the pronunciation right. I would never have guessed Nodge no. out of N-A-G-I, but I'm glad we can set that straight. <laughs> it's N-A-G-Y. See, yeah. that's what it is. If you look at an N-A-G-I, that's probably what's confusing Exactly you. right. Now, um, a, a fairly a fairly comprehensive article, obviously, on the, the firing of Coach Kelly, um, which was uh, pretty widely received as uh, as a fairly accurate uh, piece by a lot of the, the Taipans faithful. Um, obviously, you know, a couple of big lines in this one, and uh, I'm sure there's a, a bit of the uh, your journalistic skills and, and getting those headlines in right is, is have to have a bit of bite to them, but I guess in in broad terms, it's not a. The biggest shock for you is that the the club hasn't erred on the side of caution, as you mentioned. What do you think is different this time around? Um, you know, Coach Fern had enjoyed a good number of years. Uh, Coach Kelly only yes. given the three. What, what do you think the the change has been and moving quickly to fire Coach Kelly? I think the expectations now of the coach are vastly different and the pressures on the coaches with the Next Stars program, things of that nature where you're expected to, to play some kid, your, your club doesn't have to pay a lot for him and he's supposed to always projected as an NBA um, draft choice and, and you're under pressure to play him. You're under pressure you know, lots of pressures that saying Aaron Fern didn't experience now. As we talked off air, um, Aaron had his struggles in the first three or four years, but but Cairns persisted with him because they could see that he had the potential to be a good coach. Um, same thing occurred across the Tasman and New Zealand with Andre Lamaris. His early years were a struggle, but they persisted with him and they eventually got themselves a great coach. Now, when they appointed Mike Kelly, he had done all his apprenticeship. He's ready to be yep. a great coach, but he's got to take time time to evolve he has to go through a number of different sort of scenarios to get to be the coach that you expect him to be Mm. and I don't think he was given that option because of these external pressures many of which come from within the NBL and the the tentacles of the NBL media the people that are employed by the league to basically go on air on television and anywhere else and just cheerlead about oh how wonderful we've got Lamelo Ball or Josh Giddy's this and you know they're just basically cheerleading for the league and when they see that a young man like Mojave King isn't really performing up to expectations well who do you level the criticism at it's got to be the coach mm. and then when it, when you have a, a year that is as poor as the year that Cairns has experienced I think that was a bit of a shock to the system too Alex because in Mike's first year if you think back, yep. I don't think that I don't think they won a game in the first half of the season. I, I remember I was on the I was on the so we won one and uh, yeah. we won the first game in Brisbane and then we lost ten straight and then uh, yeah, then we're battling yeah. uphill uh, from That's right. from there. That's right. But the club the club didn't sort of go oh we, we made a bad choice here. They waited and the second half of that season was really quite Vast good. The Titans were, were definitely a spoiler from the, in the second half. Well, mm. if you were there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you go to the next season 
and there's a progression. Suddenly, we've gone from, you know, we started poorly, finished well, and now we're going up the ladder. Mm. Look at this. We're, mm. we're skyrocketing. How, how good is this? Mm. And they make it to a semi-final series. They take Perth to three games. Yep. You know, that was a really good performance. And most of those players, if not all, are re-signed. Yep. You, bring in, you bring in a next star. You've got Kurt Noy's going to be fit this season. And there's great excitement and an expectation that that upward trajectory just automatically continues. Mm. Well, here's the bad news. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It can plateau as easily as it can go up. It can go backwards as easily as it can go up, depending on your approach. And I suspect looking at the body language, the roll your eyes sort of behavior, the, the arms, the gesticulating, the yep. looking at the referees, the sort of um, entitlement that some of the players were displaying in those early games mm. when Cairns already started to lose yep. um, suggested to me that everyone just thought, hey, you know, look at this progression we've made over two years. We just got to show up and, and now we're going to be in a grand final. It's like, no, you still got to work your tail off. Yeah. And, and, and when you're working your tail off, that's where the joy comes. That joy we saw in last year's team, you know, when they were winning games and they were into it together and they were selfless and they just they were just having such a good time. It took me back to the late 90s era of the Adelaide 36ers when Phil Smythe was coaching and they were winning championships and they were just having such a good time. Well, I mean, the winning cue is a lot of things, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and you're feeling great. So now you come in and you, everyone sort of thinks has that that um, mentality that Pat Riley wrote about in his book, where everyone sort of has been away for a while. And now they come back and they they've been with all their friends and all their supporters and family who all sort of say, well, you know, you had a great year and you were really integral in that. And everyone comes back thinking they were really integral in that. Yeah. And suddenly there's a different mindset, and I, the, I can see the problems. Um, very early yeah, in the early first on. few games, yeah, 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 it was really evident. Well, let, let's let's just break down a few of those things there. So, so the the emotional you, you're saying the body language of the players um, was, was quite noticeable. I, I think yeah. I think getting the right, I think you'll find a championship team won't display a hundred percent positive body language the whole way through. There's no way, but the, it's certainly a learned skill and a, a habitual kind of behavior that needs to be reinforced at every step of the way to, to peg back those times where you, where you veer off track and then reinforce those times when you are on track. Uh, and certainly that, that year, the, the previous year with DJ Newbel and everyone and um, winning those games, those crucial games where it does lift the spirits, then you, yeah. you, are, you are rewarded with that positive body language that you displayed. Then that, that is sort of self-perpetuating. It, it does fuel itself. It's not always, you're not always 100% uh, perfect in your body language, but you're able to pick it up and keep each other accountable. I think I think you're accurate in that. The the, the complaining to the ref is the big one to me that I I agree with. I think I noticed that quite a bit early on, where you know there was no ability to ability to turn the page and just block out, and that takes a, a that's a mental toughness skill that that takes a lot of effort to to not. Um, just waste energy on the, that negative response. It, it's turning that page yes. quickly, and I didn't see that this year, uh, as as we saw sort of the previous year. Um, the, the back backing track, uh, but, uh, 
backtracking a little bit further than that, you said the outward, uh, the outside influences from the the NBL as a as a league and the media that they've created a, around the league. Um, you know, the, the league is in a is in an awesome position on a worldwide, you know, eyeballs kind of scale. And the way that they've seen um, the the product progress is with this Next Stars program. Obviously, they pay the majority of the wages, and then the club, like the Taipans, would only have to foot the bill of a 50k kind of a room and board right. sort of a, a nature. Yep. Do, you, do you think that they are in uh, flexing their influence, I guess, on on these boards, on these clubs, to um, you know to get their product uh, the way they see fit? I don't know if there's there's a straightforward kind of a phone call, say from a Larry Kesselman, a league owner, to to Mark Beecroft as a, a GM, or I don't think there's anything like that, you know, that that overt. But I think you feel from the from the get go, mm. if you're a club that's that's picked up a next star, I think you feel that you have an obligation now because you are only picking up, as you say, kind of room and board sort of thing. That that the league's picking it up, so you've you've got to you have another another person to answer to, yeah. and. I think with the external pressures that, that come, I don't, I don't think it's internal so much as externally. Like I've seen that also. I mean, I can sometimes I've seen Melbourne United games uh, in Melbourne and they get the benefit of the officiating like you wouldn't believe in the last quarter. Now, to me, that's human nature. That's the referees just subconsciously knowing yeah. that the owner, the owner of come. United owns the league yeah, yeah. and he'd probably be happier, happier if they won. <laughs> I don't think in, in my wildest dreams, I would never think Larry Kissam would ever go into a dressing room and say to the refs, "Hey, I want to win tonight." Yeah, I don't. That, that just, just that just would not happen. Yeah. So in the same way, I don't think that it happens and putting pressure on clubs that have next stars. Yeah. But I just think it's an automatic pressure that comes with signing one. Yeah. And what, yeah, what about the agent as well? Obligation. You know, yeah. an, an agent like Dan Mulliven uh, has, you know, probably one-fifth of the players. Uh, I, I think it's like, a, you know, like the Mitch McCarrens, like some big names, big stars. So he's got a lot of uh, pull and sway in, yeah. you know, well, if you're not going to play my my player, I, I can take him somewhere else. Do you think that is also weighing into that that pressure that you're talking about? Absolutely, and I, I think it was apparent in Adelaide where I think we signed. Uh, we, I say we. I don't really feel that they have yeah, the club anymore. But but the thirty six has signed um, Josh Giddy, Isaac Humphreys, and I think Keanu Pinder. And I'm not sure Keanu Pinder wasn't sort of like if you're taking these two, you you have to take this one. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know. So and once once you know your club looks at that and goes, well, there's two really good guys. Yeah, we can we can we can take this other bloke. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's all sorts of pressures that come yeah. on now. That, that I think Mike Kelly would have been feeling yeah. in, in a lot of different ways. And I just think, you know, I think of him as a rookie coach and you can go, well, hang on, he's in his third year, he's not really a rookie. Yeah. But I'm just using the term rookie in terms of where he will finish up as a coach. Mm. If you look at that entire journey, yeah. then he's, at the, he's still at the front door. Yeah. But you, you, you just know that he's going to, because he's, he has such high basketball IQ, mm. he's got a, a very good, courtside manner in terms of keeping himself under control mm. and 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 being an analyst not getting too emotionally not getting so he gets he gets emotional but he's efficient sufficiently yeah. emotional yeah. Not, he's not over the top he's not doing the the the, the antics of other coaches that yeah. we, we both could easily name and so could all your cans type in supporters yeah. that carry on like pork chops on the sidelines so he's got a lot of the the basics already there so it's but, com- yeah composure in, passion all that kind yes, of thing yeah, yeah and understanding of the game but he hasn't been through 
the ups and downs and the ver- various varieties of those ups and downs yeah. to immediately know how to cope with certain situations. And I think he found himself in a situation this year where there's a lot of external pressures. Internally, his players have come in with some expectations and are not, not performing yeah. up to what he wanted. And I, I think at that moment, with all due respect respect to his assistant coaches, who I know are, are good young men and are very keen to do as good a job as possible, but in that moment, if his assistant coach was, say, Paul Henare, mm. or, or or who's who's coached a championship, yeah. or, or or Gordy McLeod, yeah. who's been to the big dance a number of times. You had someone like that sitting next to you who doesn't want your job, yeah. but can actually help you through certain crises that you haven't faced yet. Yeah. I think because he lacked that, I think there were times he made decisions that if if he looks back on this season, he'll he would be thinking. I might have done that differently. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I feel like coaches, um, and I've had quite a few new new coaches, I think they take a, a good four years to really know what they want. And, of course, they're always continually evolving. But if I think back to Aaron Fern and his second year as a coach, my first year at the Taipans, uh, it, we, we ran the shuffle down the left-hand side every single time. for, And we were, like, crying out for just some variety. Like, just give me some variety. I'm about to die of boredom here. And so were the fans, like, glazing over uh, at the scoreline being, you know, 55 to 53 for the win. Um, uh, and obviously a more defensive-minded coach and that kind of thing. But he, he opened up, within those next two or three, four years, It was there was a lot more variety, a lot more openness to different things. And then, he, and then he was able to go to those moments in, like you say, in crisis. He, could, he knew directly, all right, well, no, we're running this or we're, you know, we're defending it this way because in his head he'd already gone through all the scenarios. So, but that didn't happen until at least year four or year five. And then we, you know, getting to that grand final in 20, uh, 2011 was a bit of a, not a fluke, but it was a, we were coming in hot at the end of the season. In 2014-15 grand final minor premiers, it was a lot more methodical, a lot more, you know, self-assured yeah. about where we were going. So, you know, I, I do think it does take time. And like you said, those those eps and flows, you know, they, or ups and downs, it's still on an upward trajectory when you look at the big picture over multiple years. It's just such a, a, a small snapshot for Mike Kelly's coaching career now that it looks like it's on the yes. down. But I do I do agree. I do think he has a lot of those, those traits that will carry him uh, into a positive sort of uh, uh, coaching sort of career. I, I have no doubt about it, but you're you're 100% spot on in that when you gamble on a on a new coach, as as the gamble was with Aaron Fern, as it was with Andre Lamanis, as it was with Mike Kelly, as it is with Simon Mitchell, and, and we can just keep going. When you gamble on, on someone who you bring someone into your program who hasn't coached at that level before, then you have to be prepared to take a few lumps with them. Yeah, yeah. Because because you've made a decision based on what you think the potential of this coach will yep. be, and potential has to it takes the time to to flesh out. It yep. takes time for you to, to know how you want to handle this situation, how you want to play that screen role, how you you know it takes a while, as you say, to get to to where you are totally aware of what you want from your team and and totally able to to present that to them and sell it to them and they buy in. Yeah, and and I think last year's success. Maybe a bit like what you just said about the first time you got to the grand final yeah. with Fernie. You're a bit ahead of yourselves. Maybe last year's success, they got a little bit ahead of themselves. And unfortunately, they came back with an absolute whack this year. Yeah. And now you look at management, and one of the one of the things they were saying, and you can enlighten me if I'm wrong on this, but one of the things they were saying was they signed a number of the players for, for multiple years. Mm. 
So now you're sort of going, well, okay, it didn't work this year. We may be wanting to bring in a next star next year. What are we going to um, do different? Yeah. Do we sack 12 players or do we sack one guy? Yeah. yeah well, I mean, Oliver's on a, an optional second year. I don't think he'll be coming back. I think he's no, got a taste no, for, no. you know, the veteran camps and all that kind of stuff. He's he's happy over there now. Uh, but you do have Machado. You do have, you know, Jawai. You do have Mojave King on a two-year deal with pressure coming from uh, what we spoke about before. And... Yeah. And he's a player that, that was, you know, he's pumped in 25 points in his last game, um, yeah. you know, uh, but was really shy at the start of the year. On average, 6.23 points a game for their whole season is not going to take you to the promised land no, no, where, no, where the expectations no. were. But but certainly, you know, Mojave King with a year under his belt will look a lot better uh, you know, next year having gone through that. I guess uh, maybe if I could uh, entertain a, a bit of speculation about what happens now Taipans coaching wise, do do you see a, a bit of this musical chairs coaches in the league jostling around and then the music will stop? Uh, is there an Adam Ford in the mix? Is there a you know the the Sydney assistant going to Bullets? All that kind of stuff is Gleason, you know, to Japan that kind of thing. Did, did, what do you see in terms of maybe the Taipans first? Like, do they do they make another a call on a young coach or do they no. op- loosen the no. purse strings? Is it you know what's what's the what's the go? I think I think Cairns now, if they weren't prepared to tough it out with Mike and go through to the point where he is probably the most sought coach in the league in, in three or four years' time because he's he could be that good. If they weren't prepared to tough that out, then they shouldn't they shouldn't gamble on another rookie. Um, that we did that here as a club. Adelaide did that here. They gambled after they had the, the Phil Smythe years where yeah. they were completely successful for a long period and then it went into a slump. They gambled on on a rookie in Scott Ninnis. Yep. He was gone after two years and yep. they gambled on another rookie in Marty, Marty Clark, Clark. Who yep. we all yeah, who we all hoped was going to be terrific, but yep. he turned out to be a disaster. Um and so at that point it's like, okay, we've had Scotty Ninnis, yep. we've had Marty Clark, are we gonna now appoint Brett Maher? And gonna do the same and, thing. Uh, and yep. It's like, no, no we are not. We're not gonna take another chance. We're gonna appoint Joey Wright. And guess what? Last place, grand final, following year. Yeah. So I think I think that's what Cairns would be looking at right now. We yeah. have to find a an experienced coach, and they're out there. You know, yeah. they're out there. Yeah. Um, and and there's, I mean, there's one. And then can you bring in? Obvious. And then can you bring in? You know, your, your assistant. You know, succession plan into. You know, in broad terms, yeah. can can you yeah. bring someone alongside an experienced guy and say, look. You know, we we can afford this. You know, this price tag for three years, but really, we're looking to the future. Can you just absorb everything you can and, and give us, you know, that kind of thing? Not that the head coach would ever want to. Head coach would never want to go. Look, I'm giving up my spot here. I mean, as per you know, Trevor Gleeson at Perth Wildcats with that Nielsen, um, you know, kind of succession year. Uh, well, if you don't get the grand final, then you're not. You know, Nielsen's sitting right there. He's going to sit right in your seat, Gleeson. At the end of it, it's like Gleeson's like, well, I better win the bloody championship otherwise i'm out so he wins it and then two years later no no nielsen in sight well it's interesting because you know you mentioned about the, the trevor gleason to japan rumors um i've you know sean dennis obviously coached townsville crocodiles yep. and and he's had a very successful i think four-year career now in japan and it's just re-signed for another three yeah, years yeah um I, I keep in reasonably regular contact with sean um and he you know he hasn't heard anything, yeah. anything at all about yeah. Trevor Gleeson coming to Japan. Yeah. Not only that, there's no clubs without a coach. That's not to say some club can't you know is yeah. contemplating turning around second their coach. Pay him, pay him out, but everybody's contracted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I, I, I'm wondering where that story started and whether whether he's up for um, renegotiation. You know what? You know what you said that was interesting though. Um, you spoke about you know the the coach and, and I might be slightly paraphrasing here, but the the sensitivity of the coach has a big part in how that that relationship goes. I mean, you when you have a, a coach that's really sensitive. Then the, that pressure from the board, or the you know, mainly from the, within the club, can be too much, and then that though that fractures that coach to you know GM relationship fractures, and then then you're probably on a on a downward trajectory, and you're going to be out of that that club pretty soon. I'm thinking yes. along the yeah. lines of you know, let's say let's say Bevo out at, at Perth, one year championship, uh, and then you know a lot of heat from the the board in terms of what direction he should take, and and then you know bigger picture he's out, you know, and then even with Scotty Fisher when I was there i felt he was pretty sensitive to you know the, the board's demands and let's face it they're, they're a business um they're going to be quite demanding and and i think the same thing uh with the you know the taipans for this year as well um you know that that pressure applying um that that coach has got to be able to absorb and still operate in a uh you know a professional sense and still you know take his team to to the promised land um those coaches that are super sensitive and all that, how does that sort of play out, do you think? Is there a spot for them at all, or are they really one no, and done? Why would you do it? You know, what you've just described, why would you do it? You have to be mad. You have the sort of external pressures and expectations. Before you even walk onto the court with your whistle and blow it and bring your players in and say, this is what my expectation is, you've got so much going on mm. now in today's world and, and, and in today's social media world. Everything you do is scrutinised to the nth degree. And, 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 I mean, I'm listening to the commentary on some of these basketball games and I think these guys are all coaches. They all think they can out-coach. They're, making, they're not observing what's going on. They're saying, yeah. I think we should. I think they, I think, I think, I think. Yeah. I think, shut the hell up and tell us what what's going on but yeah. that, that's just another pressure <laughs> on the coach what you know off air i asked you if you were coaching you're like no i'm not yeah like exactly yeah. you know nobody wants to coach at that level yeah. because if you have if you have even the slightest of thin skins boy that's going to get punctured in the first week absolutely and i think i think trevor gleason for for all of the you know the the budget of the perth and it's he's got an easy ride i think he does have a fairly thick skin to be able to absorb um you know the the pressures of that 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 club will demand from their head coach uh and, and even that nielsen situation where it was quite prevalent that you know if if the win if the championship didn't happen he was you know he was out to absorb that and still perform and get his guys yeah. to where they need to go i, I think yeah. I, I think that's respect from that from that side of things for sure yeah, I mean, I just just to be able to maintain your focus while while you're in the middle of of, of this storm going on all around you yeah. all the time, and then you have I don't know if you saw Andre Lamanis. Yeah, I was I was thinking remarks. exactly that. Bringing that up now, obviously yeah. he's taken a parting shot at the league, um, calling for transparency. How can teams expect to have um, expect success when there's such a disparity between budgets and things? What's your take on Andre's spout? I think, I, I think he look. I know he copped a fair bit of heat from the people that that don't want to read that kind of stuff. And from like I said, the the league's got a lot of cheerleaders these days. Yeah. But what he said was very relevant, just as what Adam Ford said in Perth way back during the season was was accurate and relevant. Now, now Andre has said that if if you're spending your budget, how is it possible? that two-thirds of the way through the season or halfway through the season, your budget's spent, you can bring in a guy from the NBA. Look at Southeast Melbourne, Phoenix. They've got a pretty good side there. We're looking at them as being a potential finalist. 
And then they can add Ryan Brokoff. Yeah, yeah. How do you, how do, you do that? This guy's straight from the NBA. Yeah. Or, or, or you look at Perth adding Will Magne. Now, I cut Perth a bit of slack because they, they had that opening for a second import if if Bryce got naturalised yeah. in time. Bryce Cotton got naturalised. Yep. So maybe, but but it's, it's still a really valid point. If you're spending your, your, your salary cap, how are you able to do that? Where are you able to find that money? How does that, that happen? And when we started going to the, the extra import and next stars programs everyone was you know we had suddenly had this soft cap where mm. where if you're paying over the odds then you should be paying some percentage of that to the clubs that are less fortunate well yeah. i'm thinking in that case cairns taipans the illawarra hawks and even adelaide 36ers should be looking pretty good here because they yeah. should be picking up a fair bit of money out of perth and melbourne united yeah. and even sydney kings if you look at their team last year yeah, that thing was under the salary cap as a, a mystery to rival the, the well any mystery you can come up yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, damn it, Alex, I couldn't think of a mystery then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's massive. And you sort of go, well, what's happened to that transparency? There was a period, too, and I remember Jeremy Lohliger, the, 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 the commissioner yeah. of the league. I love that title, the commissioner. I yeah. always think, to the bat poles, Robin. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the, 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 the commissioner was sort of saying that one stage, I, I can still find this story because I, I remember writing it, that, they were, that at a certain point they were going to announce what everybody was making. Yeah. Everybody's salaries go the way of um, the NBA and, and NRL, American yeah. sports. Where you, where you know what people well that never would that that was quickly yeah. forgotten and swept under the carpet. Yeah. And, and and Andre's correct. I don't think fans in Cairns can have the same expectation of their team as fans in Perth. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So 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 anything that the Taipans achieve. You've got to put down to that the organisation, the coach, and the support they get because this the support that that club well your club gets from its fans is is so faithful, so uh, sincere. And I mean, you guys can do no wrong. Now sometimes I think that might might act as a bit of a negative because sometimes there's a few of the players that could probably use a quick swift kick up the butt yeah. uh, for some of their performances, and the fans are still just yep. loving them turning but, up. Yeah, you know. All of that, you add all those elements up, and that's what makes you competitive. In Adelaide, when we had Joey Wright, people wanted to come and play for him. It's the same as Gorge now in Illawarra. People will want to go to that program because yeah. I want to play for him. Yeah. So that's how the that's how you get some level of parity, but it's not financial parity. And yeah. any time that a Melbourne United wants to roll out the checkbook, yeah. it can pick up an import that will be better than than everybody else in the league yeah yeah it's like i always liken it to um you know arriving at that that final poker table and you've just automatically got the most you know you got the most chips and then uh you you can afford to make you know a couple of small errors and but you've always got that overriding budget that'll carry you through to you know to that final hand um but um great great analogy great analogy actually yeah look i mean it's it's going to be an interesting way that the coach so many teams with uh coach Coaching, head coaching vacancies. Uh, I can't wait to sort of see where it all lands. But I, I've taken up a lot of your time. But I certainly uh, enjoyed the chat, uh, Body Nodge. Uh, and I look forward to maybe hopefully uh, giving another buzz uh, down the track and, and getting you back on the show. I'd very much look forward to that, Alex. Thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. And a big thanks to Body Nodge uh, for coming on the show and also obviously a big thanks to Staten's Plumbing Company uh, presenting that interview. Um, but yeah, Pikey, look, he's no, he's recognising those outside influences as well. Um, can you put the price of 
uh, improving the product of the league and, and showcasing the next stars above your individual club winning games. That's a tough one. I mean, you want you want to be able to bring in an, an next star into your program because it gets so many extra eyes on your club and those extra eyes end up bringing in extra money through sponsorship and memberships and, and all sorts of things. But ultimately, ultimately, you want to be a winning club. Um, we saw what happened with Lomelo Ball at the Hawks last season. He he had a record number of eyes watching the Hawks play games, but they weren't winning. Um, this year, they bring in Brian Gorge and they bring in a more well-rounded team, and all of a sudden, they can win win games of basketball. The Taipans last year, they were a terrific team, go within a game in the grand final. This year, you bring in a next star, and it upsets the balance of of a lot of things. Um, but is it a two-year? It's a really it a tough one. Is it a two-year projection? Like you don't know if you get a, a one-and-done kind of player, or mm-hmm. whether you've got a development program player. Like, how, how exactly. do you know? Yeah, like, yeah. So yeah. you have a look at the Sydney Kings, and they've had Diddy Lozada for one and a half seasons, and just when he starts to play his best basketball, they lose him, and it probably had an impact in them missing the finals in the end. Yeah, I mean, I mean and Vasilovic, although he was a you know a center of, center of excellence yeah, graduate, you know, a young young kid coming in, he was a, a huge impact for them uh, for Sydney. And unfortunately, he went down with an injury. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you get a, a freak injury, and then you get your next star out, uh, and then your, your team's go all, all of a sudden on a totally totally different course. Absolutely. This episode of the Pikey and Lowes Show is proudly brought to you by Cairns Total Physio. Less pain, more life. And Staten's Plumbing Company, plumbers who care. Now, Laos, let's keep moving. So I'll get your thoughts on the NBL finals shortly, but the awards for the NBL season will be announced next Wednesday night. I want to get your predictions. Let's run through the categories first of all. The Coach of the Year. The nominees are Brian Gorge and Dean Vickerman and Trevor Gleeson. Are you going one of those three or does somebody else grab your fancy? Uh, I'm going Dean Vickerman only because uh, you know they've put together you know super solid season. Um, close second would be Gorgian. Now that we've seen some playoffs, um, you know we've seen one playoff game as well, but we know his tenure. Um, I, I think Trevor Gleeson's done a solid job, although Trevor's always seems to get that second that runner-up coach of the year. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I don't think this is I don't think this is a year where Trevor Gleeson has really put himself in the in the, the shining light for, for you know, a guaranteed coach of the year sort of a, a gong. So I'm going with Dean Vickerman on this one. I think it's been solid from start to finish. Um, he's certainly led the egos, as we spoke about. He's led them uh, into a winning sort of, um, you know, uh, a trajectory, I guess. And uh, they're, they're certainly seeing that they've got a high level of belief. And, and you've moved a starting point guard import to a six-man yep. role and got him to buy in. Like, that's that's pretty unheard of, to be honest. Yeah, and they've only, they've only got one import. They don't have a next star. Yeah. No, they, and they've, you know, they've spent their money on everything yeah, else. They, like, they have. <laughs> three Boomers players, yep. uh, talented imports, uh, import, and, yeah, like, they're, they're not lacking in uh, funds. By any stretch, but, no, but when, uh, you, when you're that takes, deep, I think it takes takes some good coaching to do it. So I think you're I think you're on the money. I'm going with Dean Vickerman for coach of the year. Most improved player. We've got Finn Delaney from the Breakers, Jordan Hunter from the Kings, and Sam Froling from the Hawks. 
Look, I, I do really like Sam Froling, but I'm going with Jordan Hunter. I really like the way he's played and showing passion. And uh, in terms of improvement, um, I, I think he's really uh, blossomed this year. Uh, he ri- reminds me a lot like po- uh, Paul Gasol from uh, NBA yeah, and Span- yeah, he the does, Spaniard. Yeah. He, he looks, to me, he looks a bit like him. He's got the, like, the long hair and the beard and kind of that skinny, elastic kind of run. Uh, and he's plays similar. He plays <laughs> that pick and roll game. Bit like Julian Kazoo. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too, and I, I do agree with that. I think, uh, but I, I really like what Jordan's brought to the Kings, and I really like from where he's kind of come from the last few years. He's really exploded, and he's really, uh, I, I think personally, he's one of my must gets for a Taipans kind mm-hmm. of uh, continue for next season. You need a five man that can hold down. 25 to 35 minutes uh, and deliver. Yeah, and he's, he's replaced Andrew Bogut's role, which is which is no no mean feat. So that sums up what what he's done. Um, the best best six men. This highlights just how deep Melbourne United is. So they've got two nominees: Joe Lawal, Achul, and Scotty Hobson. And the other nominee is Kyle Adnam from the Phoenix. I'm going with uh, Joe Lawal Achul. Yep. Um, a little bit similar to Jordan Hunter. I want one of those two guys up at Taipans next next season uh, because the the future depends on on, on the Taipans having some height and some skilled bigs. But the way uh, Luella Chua has been, um, you know, going to work this season, I, he's got a nice soft touch, um, you know, so he's, he's good on the offensive end. Um, he's certainly a, a presence at the defensive end and just been able to contribute uh, big. I think he, he's probably shown a bit more maturity than I thought he would mm-hmm. in the way he plays. So uh, I have been impressed with him. Um, call, call me biased towards the bigs, but <laughs> I'm starting <laughs> off with some two bigs. Okay, the best defensive player. It's the Damian Martin Trophy, which I'm still trying to get my, my head around. Um, but the nominees, I'm amazed Sunday Detch isn't one of them, but I still think it's going to come down to the first two anyway. So Justin Simon from the Hawks, Mitch Norton from the Wildcats, and Tom Abercrombie from the Breakers. Um, for, for me, and I've seen him, you know, when he's, when he's come to town and the way he's played, uh, Justin Simon uh, is, is really impressive because it's not too often you see a player get super excited at the defensive mm-hmm. end uh, and the way he chases down someone that's, you know, about to score and he'll send the ball into the crowd and then he'll salute the ball on the way out <laughs> while it's still mid-air. Like, it's, it's actually quite entertaining at the defensive end uh, and certainly a player that every every coach's dream to have someone that, with that tenacity at the defensive side of things. So I'm going with Justin Simon for the Defensive Player of the Year. And Rookie of the Year, DJ Vasilovic, Josh Giddy, Justinian, Jessup. I reckon if Jack White stayed healthy, he would have been a good chance. And I'm a little bit surprised Yanni Wetzel didn't get a look in either. But I think I yeah. think the winner's pretty obvious. Yeah, look, I, I'm going with Giddy. Um, I certainly love you know seeing that they uh, you know it's an Aussie in that next uh, spot. That's you know I just recently saw his stock for the NBA. Uh, it looks like he's touted around 12th pick in the NBA draft Um, and they've reported you know his stock is up he's you know one of the only the few players to get triple double and it's his height at Mm 6'8 and his ability to pass that has got the eye of a lot of the NBA clubs um, which is it's pretty exciting to see um, sort of happen and that's where I understand why the league is so pumped about the next stars you know last year was an American you know LaMelo Ball doing all all the um, 
uh, getting all the media attention. Um, and then this year it's an Aussie. It's one of our own that's, you know, going to the mm. NBA. Um, you know, and that conversation aside, that the, the clubs are sort of suffer for the you know the progression of that one individual player, uh, but certainly for the for the league, it's a big thing. But yeah, Giddy for sure uh, for me for rookie of the year. Um, Jack White, yeah, uh, really bummed that uh, you know the, the boy from Traugen couldn't mm. uh, stay, stay healthy. Uh, he's proving quite a solid player, not not with flair and with like super excitement. In that regard, but as you know, as we saw with for Coach K at Duke University, he was just a solid contributor, and a um, he was always adding to um, the, you know the, that locker room and that 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 team side of things. He was he was very passionate on that side, so he was a, a good team player to have. Now the MVP. Now I know Jock Landale was very unhappy himself that he wasn't one of these three nominees, but but nonetheless, we've got Bryce Cotton. Tyler Harvey and Nathan Sobey. For me, this season, the player that comes into a court, comes into a stadium, and it's a player that you fear the most, the one that you just go, oh, no, again, like, how did he, oh, my gosh, fourth quarter turns it on. Mm-hmm. It's got to be Bryce Cotton. Yep. And, you know, Nathan Sobey's an unbelievable talent in transition with the speed. He gets teams um, on, on the back foot with his ability to just knife in sort of straight line to the hoop and throw down the hammer. But it's Bryce Cotton in the fourth quarter, half-court situation, when it's a neck-and-neck game, that he's the guy that you fear the most on the opposition because he, he's got so much turn in his moves. Like, he'll, he'll get separation uh, and he'll kick the legs out on those threes that always seem to go in. It's that one-on-one breakdown um, ability that he can size anybody up and get his shot off and make plays that win games uh, down the stretch. So he, he is without doubt, and I think he's played even better this season than in previous years. Yeah, I agree. Or maybe it's been maybe he's had maybe he's had he's had to <laughs> yeah. maybe he's had to be better because uh, of the team around him. Um, you know he's had to just produce with alongside Mooney. But look, I think Cotton is is the MVP for this league. Uh, by a fairly fairly long way for me. Yeah, I think I think so as well. So we'll see how all of that stacks up with the league awards next Wednesday. Now the finals themselves are already underway, Lows, as we record this. The first series between the Wildcats and the Hawks, and it was the Hawks that won over in Perth in game one. So they're up they're up one nil ahead of game two on their home floor on Saturday. And the other series between Melbourne United and the Phoenix all played in Sydney. Those games will be on Friday, Sunday, and if needed, on Tuesday. How do you see these two series playing out? Well, in conversation with people sort of yesterday or the day before, I had Illawarra over Perth in three games, Mm -hmm. but I'm now going to have to reduce it back to (laughs) Illawarra over Perth in two. So I'm still going with an Illawarra win uh, for the semis there, and um, I'm obviously going Melbourne United over the Phoenix um, in two. So a comfortable uh, victory. I'm, I'm touting that um, yeah, for Melbourne on, on both both games. Um, and then the grand final, do, do we get that far? Or do we yeah, hold? Go, do go we wait? If, if you've got the Hawks against United, can Brian Gorgian pull off a miracle? I don't. I've got Melbourne United over Hawks in five games, though. Wow. I feel like yeah. Gorgian's going to get it pretty close, but I think Melbourne have got the horses in the stable uh, to wear down 
at Illawarra Hawks. Is any of that dependent on Melbourne getting to play the games at home? Do you think that plays any impact? Uh, and Illawarra not getting a home game, or Illawarra gets well, a home game and, and a neutral it, venue? Yeah, I think it looks like... If Melbourne can't play at home, then I still think Illawarra will get two games at home and, and Melbourne potentially in a neutral venue. What would they do, go to Sydney? Or, oh, they wouldn't go to Sydney with being so close to Hawks territory. They might, they might they... stay in Sydney and keep it a closed venue just to avoid it becoming a Hawks a Hawks venue, but it'd I mean, be, it'd, be, it'd I mean, be such a shame to starve the fans of the NBL fans of grand final absolutely. action. Yeah, it, it would be, uh, shame. especially. So I, think, I, I think we're all hoping you, they get to get back to Melbourne to play. Either get back to Melbourne to play, or just get to Kudos and you know call it a call it a day, or get to get to Brisbane maybe and, yeah. and play in a big stadium there where you yeah. can you know still get ten thousand to the game. Um, you know that might be the the venue of choice, ease of access as well, and not too close. Like Kudos would be too close for all the Hawks fans yeah, just to yeah. load up and, and give them a home game. Um, yeah, I think Melbourne's been pretty cagey in this this late part of the season um, to make that that Taipans was it the Taipans game yeah in Sydney yeah where they were potentially going to be up here and they were like yeah no nah, yeah no nah, that's not happening that's not fair um, so yeah it'd be a shame not to have the grand final play out in an empty stadium again. Yeah, it would be. And it's also a shame this semi-final series, potentially we're missing out on sold-out crowds in Melbourne for the Phoenix against United, which is which is disappointing. And I'm sure the league's coffers are disappointed in that too. Yeah, it's not much that can be done, unfortunately. No, no. Okay, let's finish on a high though, Laos. Why don't we finish this episode and this season on the Pike and Laos show by announcing the winner of our... Cairns Total Physio MVP for the season. Absolutely, give give me the uh, the top score. Now give me the give me the top three leading up to the leading up to the best one. What's what's the yeah, projection? Okay. So the so interestingly enough, we've got. I don't know how you saw his season, but he's definitely had some standout games. So Mirko Jerick ended up in fourth position with nineteen votes. Yep. And then as we discussed before, since Cam Oliver left, this guy really caught fire. So Nate Jawai ended up in third position with 25 votes. Oh, wow. And the man who was leading before he left, Cam Oliver, on 39 votes. But I don't think there's any surprise with the winner, Scott Machado, last year's runner-up league MVP, last year's Taipans MVP, with 49 votes. He's our Cairns Total Physio MVP for the season. Made a big a, a big effort from Machado this year. We saw the lull, uh, but then we've seen the class at the end of the season. Um, you know, amassing double digit assists is no easy feat, and even getting that eleven or twelve, mm. um, you know, finding guys, you can see that he can with the right players around him, and and I guess the right framework. Um, you know, he he can he's the difference in this whole club. So. Uh, big congrats to Scott. Obviously, it's our unofficial, unofficial, official MVP tracker, yep. thanks to Cairns Total Physio. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, he's such a, a star and, and a consummate professional off the court as well. Uh, I'm not sure if you've had much to deal with him, but he's a super nice guy mm. uh, to deal with around, around the club and uh, certainly great with the kids uh, and certainly well-respected in the basketball community. Absolutely. So congratulations to him, but... A big thank you as well, Lows, to Cairns Total Physio and to Stadden's Plumbing Company for 
making the Pikey and Leo show possible this season. It's had its challenges for, for us both throughout this season, but we wouldn't be able to be here without their support, and and I just can't thank them enough, which I, I'm sure you agree agree with. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Staten's Plumbing Company, um, you know, huge around that junior sports. They, their kids play basketball. They're off on, um, you know, the, those tournaments down at Rocky and Mackay and Townsville and state champs and all that kind of stuff. They love their hoops uh, and they love, you know, they love the Taipans. Um, certainly for Cairns, Total Physio have been working alongside the players for, I think, over 23 years or mm-hmm. if not more um, and always, you know, been there for the been there for the club and, and uh, certainly along for me personally working alongside Tom um, is always sort of uh, had us covered and looked after us right to get us back on court if there's ever been any issues or niggles or injuries uh, but certainly for a lot of the uh, sport played in cans if there's ever any um, you know injuries that come along your way uh, definitely recommend cans turtle physio and the whole team there they'll get you back on the court or the field uh, as soon as possible so Give them a shout. You've got the word from Pikey and Lowes. They're mm-hmm. our go-tos in terms of all your plumbing and your physio needs. Absolutely. And I want to thank you, Lowes, for coming on this journey with me the last two seasons. We'll do some soul-searching in the off-season, and we will hope to be able to come back in some form next season, but we'll we'll let every, everybody know. But it's been a lot of fun spending these last two seasons with you, your first two seasons in retirement, so I hope it's kept you involved in the basketball scene in some sense. I'll follow how you go the rest of the season at the Cairns Marlins on what's now a very stacked team, but thank you for joining me on this ride, Lowes. We hope to be back next season, and why don't we let, let you have the, have the final word? I will certainly appreciate your efforts, Pikey, in, in setting this whole thing up. Uh, it's obviously got its challenges across the country uh, with distance and then also, you know, putting together the interviews and things like that. So I've certainly loved being, um, you know, talking about the game that we love and certainly uh, the, the club that's been home for, for many years um, and, you know, now living here, um, enjoying uh, Cairns life outside of hoops. So Certainly appreciate all, all your work and all your insights uh, and covering all the games as people read numerous of uh, the articles uh, of post-game matches reports that they probably don't even realise is you, but you're at every single game. And, um, you know, really appreciate your efforts. So you're yeah, looking forward to whatever capacity we're able to give the fans uh, a bit of insight into, uh, into the Cairns type ends for next season. 